crossroads of empires, battleground of the ages, city of peace and of war. This is Jerusalem, where archaeology uncovers the empires of yesterday, where prophecy decodes the headlines of today. This is where history and prophecy come alive. This is Watch Jerusalem. Hello and welcome to Watch Jerusalem. I'm Brent Nachtigal. I'm here in Jerusalem, Israel, this Sunday, February 16th. Thank you very much for listening in. Today we're going to be talking about the deal of the century. I haven't covered this at all on the program yet, I don't believe, and it is due time that we get to it because there are some details coming out that show that this is a deal that might actually... Uh, reach the Palestinians. I don't think it's a deal that's going to go through in the in the end. Uh, biblical prophecy indicates that it's not going to go through in the end. However, there is a changing position on the Palestinian side, not necessarily from Abu Mazen or Mahmoud Abbas, the leader of the Palestinian Authority and the president of the Palestinian Authority ever since, I guess it's been, yes, since Yasser Arafat died. Uh, he's still there. I don't think that he's going to change his stripes necessarily, but there is increasing pressure upon the Palestinians themselves to come rounds to negotiate President Trump's deal. And really, President Trump probably wouldn't have put his deal forward unless he saw there was some element of of the Palestinian society that would be willing to negotiate with Israel. And there would be some element of the Arab world that is going to come to pressure the Palestinians as well. I do briefly want to talk about what happened at the UN last week because it was absolutely surprising for such an event to take place, you're well aware that Mahmoud Abbas was there in uh, New York to uh, talk to the U- UN Security Council about a resolution that was meant to negate Trump's deal. It was meant to show the world that President Trump is, in com- is completely isolated with his vision for peace, as he calls it, between the Palestinians and the Israelis, and he had been working alongside another couple of states that are members of the 15-member body of the UN Security Council, drafting a resolution that would condemn President Trump for this deal uh, and talk about how it's unjustified and how it's pro- pro-Israeli and it's a, you know continuing the, the apartheid uh, tactics of the state of Israel and so on and so forth. Well, the United States went to work in the previous two weeks, and they reached out with several members of the UN Security Council body, including those that had drafted the actual resolution. And by the end of it, they 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 their their power was such, and their encouragement was such on these states that they were able to change the resolution, change the words of it. It didn't mention deal of the century, didn't mention Donald Trump or anything like that to the point that it was a token resolution that might be seen to be against Israel, but definitely wasn't as strong as Mahmoud Abbas had wanted. And so what he did was he canceled the vote. He said, don't even put it to a vote. It was going to be a dumbed-down version, a gutted version of its strong language, because there wasn't the support in the Security Council at the United Nations to pass a resolution against President Donald Trump. This is not something that happens normally in international bodies, especially a resolution that Mr. Trump had 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 or against something that Mr. Trump wanted that was seen to be of benefit to the state of Israel. The UN is notoriously anti-Israel body. And just later on in the week, they did have another anti-Israel resolution that did pass, but not this one. Not this one. Why not? Why didn't it? 
because it seems that there is a lot of support for this deal, maybe not from Mahmoud Abbas, maybe not from a lot of the Palestinian Authority, maybe not from Turkey or Iran or some of these nations, but there were some nations in Europe that weren't willing to to go along with this uh, anti-Trump resolution. And there are plenty of Arab states that aren't willing to cross President Trump over this either. This is an article that appeared in Israel Hayom. This is uh, on the 13th, just a few days ago. It's entitled, Palestinians Returning from UN with Our Tail Between Our Legs. And this is actually quoting a member of the senior, or a member of the Palestinian delegation, a senior Palestinian official that was with Abbas at the UN. This is what this article states just from the beginning. It's just a small article here, but I think it gives you a a picture, a surprising picture of the opening that does exist for Palestinians to eventually come to the table here to deal with Israel, which is a scary thought for many Israelis that this is a deal that actually might bring the Palestinians to the negotiating table. And we'll talk about why that's a scary thought. Uh, This article says this, A senior Palestinian official said Abbas wants to meet with Jordan's King Abdullah II and Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi and discuss with them the consequences of the Palestinian failure to condemn the Trump administration's Mideast peace initiative at the UN Security Council. So Abbas wanted to meet with these others to talk about what happened and why we couldn't even bring this resolution uh, to the Security Council. And then it quotes a member of the Palestinian Authority, says this, quote, There is an atmosphere of bitter disappointment among the members of the delegation who went to the UN with Abbas. The sense is that we are coming back with our tails between our legs. We were caught unprepared, and we didn't properly assess, properly assess the American pressure on the members of the UN Security Council. And so, yes, the United States did go out of its way to strongly encourage those members of the Security Council to change the language of this, or if it did go forward, to not vote with it so that the U.S. wouldn't have to use its veto uh, against such a deal or such, such a resolution. Then uh, this, this source continues to write, The moment the draft resolution was changed to a softer version that completely excluded any explicit condemnation of the deal of the century, There was no longer any point in bringing it to a vote, even if we had majority. We are still in shock from the cold shoulder we received from Arab states, chief among them the Gulf Emirates, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. This type of thing just does not happen. The Palestinians received a cold shoulder from Arab states in favor of the Trump deal. They do not want to cross President Trump right now for a number of reasons. And so they are encouraging the Palestinians to go ahead and negotiate these terms with, uh, with Israel. Now, this, in, this article goes on to write, the time has come to break free. This, sorry, this is quoting a Palestinian official that was there at the UN. The time has come to break free of the conception shackling Abbas and his old guard, whereby the international community and Arab countries will care for the Palestinian interests. The president and his people are cognizant of the lukewarm responses from the Arab countries against the plan, and the fact that there was there isn't sweeping opposition to it within the international community, and that the draft resolution was pulled at the Security Council, all this put together proves the claim that the time has come to change the thought process and reconsider the boycott of the Trump administration and the peace plan it formulated. 
So this is really important to consider that you had the Western media come out and report on this plan as it was released on January 26th or January 28th, sorry. And what was the plan? The plan was called the deal of the century. It was going to propose two states for two people. And Israel was going to say that for the next four years, there will be no expansion of settlements that uh, would be inside the area or surrounded by the area that would be a Palestinian state. And it would freeze those expansions for a period of four years. This hasn't been done before. Israel hasn't agreed to such a thing. And at the end of it, if the Palestinians come to the table, if they renounce their uh, paying of terrorists in prison, if they uh, accept Israel as a Jewish state, is they if they cause Hamas to lay down its, its arms... A lot of things that seem very impossible, don't get me wrong, they seem very hard for a Palestinian authority to do. Ne- nevertheless, there is a change whereby the Palestinians realize, many of them, that the way of Mahmoud Abbas, the way of Yasser Arafat, is going by the wayside. I'm not saying there's a wholesale change in terms of uh, the incitement that the Palestinians um Uh, receive from their textbooks, through their education, uh, what they get from their religious leaders, that is absolute intransigence on their side against the Jewish state. That's what exists in, in their culture. But there are plenty of other Arabs that recognize that if that if they are to move forward out of the state that they're in right now, they should negotiate with President Trump and the Israelis. And so this is this is really interesting to consider, um, just because it's been painted as such a pro-Israel uh, declaration, and it's a fait accompli that the Palestinians are not going to come to the negotiating table. But as I said at the beginning, what if they do? What if they do? What if the Palestinians end up coming to the table to negotiate and start during these four years? to implement what the Trump deal calls for. How would Israel respond to that? Now, there's plenty of people out there that are writing that President, or that Prime Minister Netanyahu and also uh, Benny Gantz would accept this deal just because they don't want to accept President Trump and and because they don't expect the Palestinians to actually change anything. They don't expect this deal to work. They don't expect the Palestinians, to actually start implementing some changes, at least on the face, that bring them to the... that that would excite the American president, that some peace negotiation could work out. Now, that would mean that you would have a Palestinian state in 70% of the West Bank. That would mean you have a Palestinian state surrounding 15 Jewish uh, settlements that would be virtually... Uh, surrounded by a Palestinian state, something that those people that are living out there would not be, uh, would not definitely not uh, condone or desire. But really, we need to consider this peace negotiation that is going to come from this. It seems that the Bible definitely indicates that the peace process is not dead in the water at least in terms of events that are going to lead to the coming of the Messiah, we expect a renewed push for peace to take place. 
it's a piece that won't result a push that won't result in peace but this process is going to play out and so we need to really consider whether the palestinians will come to the negotiating table or not because again what happens when they do what happens when they accept some of the terms of this peace agreement and get their state or at least get control over 70% of the West Bank. And this is probably why, well, this is why there's so many people on the right in, inside Israel that are against this deal. Yes, they love President Trump's favor. They love the recognize, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. They love that part of this deal is that Jerusalem remains sovereign under Israeli rule. They love the other benefits of this, but it still gives a Palestinian state in the heartland of biblical uh, Judah or biblical Israel. David Friedman is one of the draftees of this deal. He's been looking into it for a long time. He's the ambassador for the United States to Israel, who lives here in Jerusalem. And he, along with others, gave a presentation at uh, the, the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs back in February 9th. This was earlier last week. And I think it might have been last last Sunday, a week ago from today. I wasn't there uh, for this. This is um, Mr. Dor- Ambassador Dory Gold's outfit uh, there. But judging by the a lot of the the journalists that were there, uh, Melanie Phillips was there, Ruthie Bloom was there, others were there. They asked questions of Mr. David Friedman about this deal. It sounds like it was a, a great a great group of people there. I want to play just a little clip from Mr. David Friedman. And in each of these clips, first by him and then from Melanie Phillips in a question and then Ruthie Bloom with a question, there is this sense that this deal is also a pro-Palestinian deal. It's not just pro-Israeli. And he gives the sense, although he's guarded with his words, that there is a Palestinian side to negotiate with. Again, this would actually um, create a lot of fear in the Israeli public, that this was a, 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 a deal that might actually go forward if, of course, um, Mahmoud Abbas, well, not of course, but perhaps if he, is, he goes by the wayside, considering his age, it is possible. But first of all, I just want to uh, have, this, have this quote. This is towards the end of his speech, detailing the deal before these journalists and other thinkers here at the Jerusalem Center of Public Affairs, Ambassador David Friedman. But I think that uh, when the dust settles, um, I hope people around the world understand Israel's made a firm offer to more than double the Palestinian territory and to create a Palestinian state uh, on specific terms and specific conditions and specific territorial dimensions. And that, uh, my friends, is an enormous breakthrough that no one has seen over the past 52 years. You can go back through all the great, uh, all the great conferences and summits in agreements, whether it's Oslo, whether it's uh, whether it's Y, whether it's Geneva, whether it's Madrid, you can go through all of them. I defy anyone to read any of those documents and tell me exactly where the borders of Palestine and Israel begin or end. And you can't. And he is right. This is a one-of-a-kind deal. This does put borders on a Palestinian state, and it deals with a lot of the difficulties that would be created. And so this is, again, this is a pro-Palestinian peace deal. Why wouldn't they come to the table here? Of course, they've rejected so many of these deals before, but so many of those other deals were a bit ethereal. This one is documented. I forget how many pages it is, 160 pages of something like this. They have considered quite a lot, and especially in regards to borders of these two states. Now, are the Palestinians going to come to the table? 
well, journalist Melanie Phillips uh, was there for that presentation, and she asks uh, a similar question uh, along those lines. Uh, Melanie Phillips from the Times of London. Um, the plan is being presented as a break from the past, but once again, um, the Palestinians are being offered a reward uh, for their aggression. What, therefore, makes you think that they're not simply going to do what they've done every single time this has happened and simply walk away and leave Israel in basically the same position as it always was? Well, first of all, that, that's also what you've also uh, done is provide a partial answer to the question before as to why should Israel uh, get certain relief in advance of, uh, of the four-year period. It's because th there is the possibility that the Palestinians will do that, and the Palestinians should not be rewarded for either aggressive behavior or failure to engage. So that there is basically his disclaimer that, yeah, we'll see how it goes. That's why Israel's been given, you know, we're going to recognize sovereignty here over these 30% of the West Bank uh, at the very beginning. Um, but notice this huge silence that he has as he's trying to calculate what he is going to say in regards to why he believes that the Palestinians are going to break from the past and that they are going to come to the table. Palestinians should not be rewarded for either aggressive behavior or failure to engage. Um, I, I think we're. I think we're going to have to. I, I mean, I'm not. I'm not uh, here to predict what the Palestinians will do. I am a firm believer in the Abba Ibn mantra about them never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. They may very well do the same here. The world's changed. The risks are have changed. The neighborhood has changed. Um, there is uh, much greater visibility inside Palestinian so society as to what awaits them outside their their enclave, uh, if they can, um, if they can live in peace with their neighbors, um, and um, look, we think there ought to be, you know, we we understand that they're moving towards elections, and maybe maybe there'll be a breakthroughs with that, with that process. Maybe some of the uh, some of the friends of the uh, Palestinian uh, local friends, if they're good friends, the really good friends, they'll tell them they ought to sit down and engage on this, um, but. Um, but we'll uh, we're going to take it a step at a time. And as I said, one of the one of the key principles here is that this is a four year option, and that's exactly because we expected very little in the short run. Now I definitely don't want to read too much into that, but he obviously there understands much more than he's willing to talk about uh, in terms of the support that is inside the Palestinian society for such a peace negotiation. He obviously knows more than he can tell, and this is what and how he responds to to Ruthie Bloom as well. Ruthie Bloom from JNS and the Jerusalem Post. We've seen in Iran that there are many more voices now, um, pro-America, pro-Israel voices. They wouldn't step on the American flag and the Israeli flag recently. Is there anything uh, that you know behind the scenes to suggest that there is anybody in the Palestinian Authority who is feeling that way and would like to switch this? over to a desire for a state and not a desire to destroy Israel. Yeah, look, I wish I could uh, speak more candidly about this, and um, at this point I can't because uh, I need to preserve confidences, but um, we're, we're so encouraged by reactions we've gotten from within uh, the Palestinian community, from within the pro-Palestinian uh, uh, environment, from regional neighbors. Um, this is, um, and this I think, Accomplishes two things. First of all, I think there, are, I think um, there there are reason there are reasonable 
minds out there. They exist. Again, that was David Friedman responding to the question of what can we expect to happen? Is there actually change in the Palestinian street? And according to the ambassador, though he didn't want to give details of it, he believes that there is, that there's people out there that, they, that, that can be worked with in order to bring forward this peace deal. Now, certainly you can't blame people for wanting to go along with this deal just because it is it is President Trump's deal, and uh, he has been a great uh, friend of the Jewish state and what he's given to the Israeli state as well. But you also can't blame plenty of Israelis that are looking at this deal and looking at it in terms of if it actually is implemented. Is that going to be dangerous for the state of Israel? Is it going to be uh, something that comes back to bite them in the end? Now, there's an author here, David Ivory, I believe he has been, he lives inside uh, uh, Samaria and serves on the Shimron, uh, Shomron Regional Council. He wrote an article on February 3rd, 2020, and it's entitled, I've been an Israeli settler for 30 years, Trump's peace plan puts our communities in danger. And it's just a really good piece to detail uh, what the territorial concessions would mean that are outlaid in this, or that are laid out in this peace plan by President Trump. I'm going to quote at length here of this, and uh, so just bear with me, and I'll try and put on my best reading voice uh, to make you be able to understand. He says this, President Trump says that in his plan, no Israelis or Palestinians will be forced to leave their homes. However, it also lists 15 Israeli towns that would be isolated enclaves deep within the proposed Palestinian state. These towns would be under siege by the Palestinian Authority and would almost certainly be placed under a building freeze. In effect, towns that are not allowed to grow will slowly dry up. Their residents won't be forced to flee by law, but when forced to live in detached islands within a hostile Palestinian Authority, chances are that many would leave on their own. Today, Israelis are not even allowed to drive through the Palestinian area-controlled Area A because doing so is life-threatening. Placing a small Israeli town deep in a Palestinian domain is simply a death warrant for both the individuals living in these communities and for the communities themselves. Some mistakenly take some consolation in the thought that the plan lists only 15 small towns to be isolated and cut off from Israel. A closer look at the Trump map reveals that another 40 larger Israeli towns, including my own, share a very similar fate. They will find themselves like isolated outposts connected to the rest of Israel by very narrow corridors surrounded by Palestinian-controlled space. Towns like Kiryat Arba and Hebron that are now about one hour south of Jerusalem, in the vision of the deal of the century, only be, they will be only accessible, accessible by a narrow artery north of Beersheba, which will likely take about two and a half hours to reach from Jerusalem. It's sad, he writes, and frustrating to hear voices of joy from my friends of Israel who misread this deal as some kind of gift to Israel. Many of them who are aware of the horrible details of the plan write off their concerns, trusting that the Palestinians will never agree to the terms. So, they say, there is nothing to worry about. The Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Well, he writes, what if they don't pass up this opportunity? then we are in a real fix, aren't we? If the art of the deal is calling for the other side's bluff, so far, Trump has succeeded in calling both sides bluffs. The Palestinians, true to their traditional behaviors, are rejecting the proposal in spite of it being the best deal they could ever get. 
On the other hand, Netanyahu's endorsement of the deal traps Israel into the very worst of terms that will forever be the starting point for any future arrangements or negotiations. It's no surprise, then, that Jared Kushner proudly told Egyptian TV that the Trump administration is the only U.S. administration that has succeeded in convincing the Israelis to concede land to the Palestinians. Some still argue that President Trump's announcement was a historic recognition of the connection of the Jewish people to Judea and Samaria, and a sign that he accepts Israeli towns here as legitimate rather than illegal settlements or obstacles to peace. This recognition follows decades in which countries, including the United States, have declared that Israelis should not be allowed to live in these areas, denying the indigenous rights of the Jewish people to our historical homeland. I can understand, he writes, the, the, the feelings of relief on the part of my brothers and sisters who have felt for years that they were treated like criminals for their passion to return and build our ancestral lands. Years of being told that they were to blame for the lack of peace in the Middle East and even by the entire world. By contrast, it's refreshing to hear the President of the United States recognize the ancient connection of the Jews to this land. But we cannot ignore the maps and detailed plans behind the words that, in effect, decree a building freeze and a slow death to some 60 Israeli towns in the heart of Judea and Samaria. And so this article is very interesting because... It shows that there's plenty of Israelis that are saying that this deal is good, in effect, because, you know, we, we are going to get sovereign rights over the Jordan Valley and, and elsewhere, and all these settlements will be in Israeli control. And they also believe that it just won't ever pan out. It won't ever pan out. After four years, okay, then we'll declare sovereignty over the entire lot, because the, the, the Palestinians will never come to the negotiating table. But what if they do? But what if they do? Now Israel is cornered into this peace process they are cornered. Israel will, it can't come back from this if they do accept it as it looks like it will happen after the, uh, after the March 2nd, I believe it is, elections, that they're going to say that this is the basis for our negotiations going forward. Prime Minister has already said that. But if they, start, if they do annex uh, the parts of, of uh, the West Bank that are in accordance with this deal, then they have to have this freeze for four years. And what if the Palestinian state comes and they want to go forward with a deal? Then Israel is put in a really difficult situation that they are going to, again, have a Palestinian state or a Palestinian territory. It will be a state, but I'm just trying to compare it to Gaza. That's what you're going to have. But it's not like you're going to have one thick, long Gaza border that's relatively easy to defend against. No, you're going to have, as Mahmoud Abbas said, a Swiss cheese state, a Swiss cheese Palestinian state. But that also creates a Swiss cheese Israeli state, where you've got holes all the way through it, where you've got these dangerous pathways that Israelis are going to have to drive on to get to these isolated enclaves. Is that a recipe for peace in the long run? Now, we follow biblical prophecy on this program, and our editor-in-chief of Watch Jerusalem, Mr. Gerald Flurry, has written a book, Jerusalem and Prophecy, and chapter two of this uh, booklet is entitled Israel's Deadly Wound. It's something that I really do encourage you to read through. It was originally written back during the middle of the Oslo Accords and how Israel was giving up land for peace and how that this is a deadly wound 
on the state of Israel, this idea that you give over land to the Palestinians and it will somehow result in peace when there's no evidence that that would take place. And and the, even though that this book was originally written back then, it is the the basis of, of showing that this is a wound for the state of Israel um, is found in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 5 and verse 13. And it talks about how Israel is going to get itself into this situation, into a peace negotiation that is actually going to be a wound. It's a wound that is meant to be, as it brings out there in those scriptures, it's meant to be the remedy to their problems, as a peace deal with the Palestinians would be. It's meant to fix the situation, but it ends up creating a more difficult situation. It ends up creating a wound. Now, are we on the cusp of, of this type of thing taking place? I really do suggest you take the time to request this booklet. It's free, Jerusalem and Prophecy, and especially read through chapter 2 and find out what the Bible says about this peace process and how it has been a long-standing wound for Israel and how it is going to cause Israel to look for help elsewhere in the most unlikely source. Again, you can get a copy of this book at watchjerusalem.co.il. It's there if you hit literature, you can get a copy, or you can email letters at watchjerusalem.co.il, and I'll make sure that uh, you get a copy of this booklet as well. Again, sent to you wherever you are in the world. That's all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening in. It looks like Christopher Eames is going to take the show next week, so you can look forward to that. Have a good week.